Hey everyone and welcome to Almost Cancelled, I'm Peter, that is Connor and we are going to talk about Twin Peaks The Return Part 10, full spoilers for the episode as always. So we're we're past the halfway point now, we're, we're officially in the second half, get eight left, it's number 10 obviously, and uh, I do have to start this off in a slightly negative light. Oh good, I thought I was going to be on my own. Slightly negative light, I do think this is probably the weakest episode of the show. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Now, I don't think it's bad by any means. I do think there's a lot of good things in here. And I do... Obviously, I watched it a second time for my notes, as I've been doing. Uh, and I did actually enjoy it more the second time. Because I knew what I was going into. As opposed to sort of waiting for the, the juicy bit, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, it was kind of lacking that big meaty moment. Or the big meaty scenes that really got my I, main I going think, and anything like that. I think for me, it's maybe that... It's it's over halfway through, as you just said, mm. and a lot of the things in this episode feel very disconnected to anything that's been going on before now. I wouldn't say this. I mean, there's more to uh, it that I can kind of see that. I, I, I would say there's a there's a, there's a few scenes that I specifically felt were redundant because it felt like it was reiterating stuff we'd already had. Yeah, yeah, and then on top of that, I'm starting to feel like the doggy stuff's going on a bit too long, perhaps. Maybe I, I don't. I, I'm not down on it yet. I'm. I'm still digging it. I do think though that his scenes, that you know, the Cooper out of it, everyone thinks he's Dougie scenes. I they are starting to kind of feel like they're repeating themselves a little bit. Uh, yeah. I was still really enjoying them up until the last time we we saw any of them. Yeah, me too. It was just once we got to this episode, I was like, now it feels like it's spinning its wheels a bit. Like it's, it didn't do anything new really this episode uh, yeah. with him. So, yeah, there's some definitely some, some criticisms to have with this episode. Now, I don't actually think it's a big deal in the long run, mainly because I feel like this happened with the original show as well, but there's these episodes that's feeling more, the connective tissue where it's like, oh, it's moving all these things along, and it did do a lot of that. There's a lot of plots here that go along a bit. Mm. And it kind of feels like, oh, uh, back when you, go, when you go back and watch this as an 18-hour movie later, when it's all said and done, this will just play fine because it's in between and it's just going through stuff. Because there's important stuff in here. There's definitely there is. things uh, that are going to be worthwhile to talk about, but uh, it, it, it definitely left me feeling that this is probably the weakest episode of the show. And I think also the fact that it got to the musical performance at the end, and I tried to say, oh, six minutes left, oh, there's actually going to be a scene before the, yeah, I, I the credits. Exactly. And then the song went on for so long, I went, there isn't going to be a scene, is there? It's just going to... This is going to go yeah, to the credits uh, eventually. Uh, I was I was doing the same. I checked it. I was like, oh, six minutes. I was like, okay, well, we might get another, you know, two minutes or something at the end. Yeah. And then and then it was like, hang on, that's the credits. <laughs> Bold. I I think this is a symptom of it being more of an eighteen-hour thing cut up into parts as opposed to being episodic. I feel like this is yeah. maybe the first one that's really suffered from the idea that. There was nothing. It just this this one just happened to not have any it of the really juicy didn't necessarily stuff in function it. as a weekly episode of something. Yes, but as a part of an overall larger thing, I, I'm sure it'll be fine once we get to you know all the stuff yeah, that it sets yeah. up. Uh, so so that, that, so again, weakest is not necessarily saying bad. There's there's still a lot of good stuff in here. Uh, so we started off. Uh, with Richard Horn, who I've not seen for a couple of episodes, he goes to Miriam's trailer. She lives in a trailer. Uh, she was the witness who was at the Double R Diner, and he is—he's play—he plays nice for about two sentences. But she, <laughs> she, she knows to be scared, and she's like, "I've already talked to the police. I've sent them a letter," and she's 
very, very Adam, and he he breaks in. It's very, it's very visceral. It's very violent. The way he breaks in, and she's screaming. I like how this is shot. It's all shot from outside the trailer. You don't see any of yeah, the violence. You just, you just hear it. You just hear it. You see her, of course, lying there in a pool of her blood. She's still alive, of course, not for long, because he's he's lit a candle and he's he's turned on the the stove. So the, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the plan is that it's going to go boom eventually. That said, we never actually because I was expecting it to go up as he was walking away. Mm, never did, and it never did. So I, the 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 room is there for them to swerve and say, "Oh, someone found her in in time," and dragged her. There out. is, yeah. So the, the option is there, but uh, he he calls Chad to uh, intercept the Slayer. God damn, Chad. And we saw we them. Knew we were right to hate him this much. Yeah, we saw them working together briefly, and that's in the in the uh, the roadhouse way back when. Uh, but this confirms there's definitely an ongoing relationship. Mm-hmm. This is definitely very well established. It's not just like one little thing they do with each other. Uh, so that, that was kind of the opening scene. But I did like how that was shot. I liked the whole outside of the outside of the trailer stuff. Uh, speaking of trailers, we go to the trailer park. We see Aradine Staten's character just uh, singing a song, just playing his playing his guitar, uh, and we see a red cup fly out of a window. As it does. And again, red. So it's like, okay, whoever's in there is important. I was thinking, uh, remember we'd heard about Linda and her, her husband, or yeah. whoever. Uh, they lived nearby, uh, Aradine Staten. Turns out, no, it was Becky and Shitty Steve. Uh, we've not seen since they're, they're, he was introduced properly, uh, and turns out he is like full on Leo, two point Like f- he he is going off the off the yeah. deep end. He's screaming at her. Why have you not asked for a raise? Uh, don't give me that innocent looking look. Like he he's absolutely insane. Uh, and he he's, st- yeah. he's still got that shitty facial hair that uh, I, I commented on. <laughs> Uh, not a lot to analyse here uh, beyond maybe just obviously the, the the observation that she is going through almost exactly what Shelley went through at that yeah, age. Yeah, it very much feels like these things repeat themselves. That's kind of what it was just telling us, I think. Yeah, very, very cyclical. Uh, and it's really setting us up to want to... I, I can't actually decide who, who, who do I want to see die more? Shitty Steve or Richard? Because this episode certainly spends more time showing us how bad Richard is, but... Shitty Steve's pretty Steve shitty has, as well. He has that shitty facial hair. He has that shitty facial hair. It's hard, it's hard to take uh, seriously. I don't, know. I don't know. I think he might deserve it more. Mm. So then the episode sort of doesn't introduce us. We've seen these characters before, but we didn't even know their names before. Uh, the Mitchum brothers, and mm. this is uh, this is uh, Rodney and Bradley. Those their names. Rod Rodney being uh, Teabag from Prison Break. Uh, something Kemp, I think his actor's name is, uh, and then the. <laughs> Then the other one is uh, Bradley, whose name I'm forgetting. Oh, that's annoying because he he's a uh, he's one of the he's he's a uh, one of the brothers. He's you know acting brothers. That's really bugging yeah. me. Hold on a second. <laughs> Hold on a second. That is Belushi. That was uh, that's the name I was looking for. He's one of the Belushi's. He's James Belushi. Um, so we're just well, we've never seen them before. Of course, they own the casino, uh, and we get this weird scene where who turns out to be Candy. We learn her name a little bit later down the line. But Candy's one of the three girls who were in pink. We've seen them briefly uh, when they were at the casino asking about all this money that was won and yeah. they fired the, the manager. We've seen these three girls in their pink dresses sort of staring into space and Candy being the middle one of those three. And that seems to be her constant place because when, <laughs> when we're back at the casino later, they're standing in that exact same spot in the exact same kind of staring into space way. She is trying... She's basically... There's a fly. There's a fly in the room 
at the Mitchum Brothers' house, or the, the sorry, the the Mitchum brother. I'm crossing it in Iron Fist there. Similar name. Uh don't don't remind me. Uh, she she's a fly, and she's trying, and she's got a, a red handkerchief, and she's trying to swat it with a red handkerchief. And I, again, I'm reading into this as red important here. Is, is this shown as that her obsession, what she's thinking? Because she she's not on drugs, but I, I I was getting some weird correlations. But you know, how we keep talking about how Jerry might be feeling yeah. things that Cooper's going through. I'm wondering if she has some weird connection to something because she's so out of it all the time. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. And I wonder if the red handkerchief is telling us, no, no, she, she doesn't seem that important. She seems like a frivolous side character, but there is actually something important about her. Yeah, it makes sense, especially as we keep coming back to her. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she it's actually a very funny scene. She eventually picks up the, the, the TV remote and whacks Rodney in the face, and it's a pretty brutal hit. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I thought it was pretty funny. Maybe it's my it sense of humour, but it was, no, it, was, it, was. it was pretty funny. Uh, and that's where it cuts cuts away. Uh, we then go to the doctor's office. We'd heard that uh, Cooper slash Dougie was going with Janie E to the doctor's. And uh, our previous complaint, where it was just kind of reiterating stuff we already knew. Oh, he's lost weight. He's in good shape. There was a little bit more of it because he says, "Oh, your heart's good. Your lungs are good. You know, your blood pressure's great. This looks this look perfect." Obviously, the one key thing out of this scene is that Janie E kind of notices how, <laughs> how much in good shape yeah. he's in. And I, I just I just wrote, this is my exact note from this scene, Janie E likes what she sees. I, I just put, Janie E wants it. <laughs> I know, I wrote something more similar to that in a later scene with Janie E. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I'd read it already there, just because you can see the look that she's giving. Oh, you can, but I wasn't really sure she wanted to actually go through with it, just because, you know, he's kind of mentally ill right now. He's, he's not all there. I think there's some... Still a husband, as far as she's concerned. No, it is, it is. But I just think there is like a weird morality question that comes into this here, where like, at what point, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's basically the scene, uh, and that's essentially the gist of it. Um, let me go back to the Mitchum brothers, and we're back in their house, back in the living room, and and uh, Rodney's sitting there, just sort of like nursing his face. He's got a drink, and Candy's crying, like bawling her eyes out. And she's sitting there crying for so long, and Rodney's just staring at her. He eventually says, look, Candy, I'm okay, it's fine. It's not a big deal, right? And given that he's like this sort of gangster guy who seems to want to kill people, like, it's kind of telling that he is just like, I'm fine, it's, it's fine. Yeah, I'm he's okay. like, no, you were trying to get a fly, I'll let it go. Yeah. But he seems quite genuine, it's not even like he's putting it on. He's really trying to, like, it's fine, let's go over this, we can move on with our lives, it's, yeah. it's okay. And, um... Uh, <laughs> So the the news comes on. We, we see the weather first of all, and the, the, I mentioned it's going to be hot in Vegas over the next couple of days, which is more important later, I think. But I'll mention it just now. But it goes to the news specifically, the news bulletin, and a couple of really key things here in the, the design of this news program. I thought uh, one is that there was a giant red button on the news desk with a number twelve on it. Yeah. I don't know what twelve if twelve is important necessarily, but. I don't know if that's I maybe think, saying... I think it's townless. Watch out for episode 12. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Like, does that mean episode 12 has got something big coming out? Yeah. Uh, but I, it's interesting. So big red button with number 12 on it. Uh, also, their animation had dice in it. It was like their, their whole theme, like going to the story, there was this big rolling CGI dice. I, I just assumed that was because because Vegas. Which is, is a fair assumption, but I'm just saying, because we've pointed out a dice before yeah. on, on the desk of the manager, then it was in an scene with another desk, I think. and like It's been a recurring thing. yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe the idea like dice just represents fate. Like, you know, you roll dice and. Yeah, I think it'll be something that maybe Dougie Cooper will see the news and he'll see the dice, and that's what draws attention to whatever's on it. 
Uh, maybe, maybe. But so basically, the new story is that the police have apprehended uh, Ike the Spike, and the the the, the Mitchum brothers go, "Oh, Ike's been arrested. Oh, call off that hit on Ike. We <laughs> save, save some, some money." money. Uh, so you know they wanted Ike dead, uh, which I'm sure just, I'm I'm fairly positive that's just a nice little joke, rather than meaning anything. But it's it's, it's a nice fun little yeah. bit. Um, but then of course they see Cooper on the news, they see or what they you know Doggy Jones as as they're being told, and they're even surprised that oh that's actually his name, Mister Jones is actually Mister Jones. Yeah, uh, they thought it was an alias, of course. Uh, and I, I also noted my favorite part of this whole thing uh, is that. Even though we saw it at the time, we saw Cooper like reaching out for the cop's badge. It was ten times funnier in a news program. <laughs> it was. Like it you know, really Jerry E's like really playing Slapping up. his hand away. Yeah, she's she's playing it up. She's like, oh, she's doing. Oh, he's a hero, and we did this, we did that, and she's trying to like sort of appreciate the attention they're getting. And Dougie's just kind of like, uh, badge, badge. Oh, I I, I also liked how they were still referring to him as Mister Jackpots. <laughs> yeah, or Mister Jackpots. <laughs> Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, yeah, and then honestly, even funnier than that though, like maybe my biggest laugh of the whole episode actually was after they stopped paying attention to the news, and Candy's still crying, and then she just blurts out, "How can you ever love me after what I've done?" And it was Rodney's reaction. He just looks at her in befuddlement, and then looks at his brother and looks back at her, and he's just his reaction broke me. It's pretty great. <laughs> it was. It was good. It was good. There, there was some good comedy in here. Uh, so then we cut to Dougie's house. Uh, Janie E is wearing red shoes. Now I don't know if that's an intentional thing on her part, or if it's like a subconscious thing. Actually, like, oh, he likes red shoes. I don't, I don't know. Maybe she. Red shoes are pretty common. Yeah, I mean, she I know. But them before. This is just given what we're talking about last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean from her perspective, I doubt it's in fact, a point I don't think we brought up in the last video, and I mentioned it. Uh, we've been talking about in the comments uh, in last week's video. Uh, Audrey, or at least in her first appearance, was wearing red shoes. Oh yeah. So the so the him following the red shoes last week is maybe a hint that Audrey is indeed going to be the person that snaps him out of it. You know, follow the red shoes. Oh, I see it. Kind of idea. Uh, or in this case, just follow the red shoes to bed and get some, because that's basically what happens. Good, good I, things happen when you follow red. Yeah, I've I've wrote down Janie E is horny as hell, um, and I, I guess my only real point about this scene, just in a sort of uh, Naomi Watts is kind of pretty way, is that I I don't think I was mentally prepared for her. I'm ready to do this face. <laughs> like, you know the, the way the way it ends before it cuts to the bedroom, and she's yeah. just like, "It's go time, Dougie." Yeah. Uh, like I, I don't think I was prepared for that face. Um, I've noted down Sonny Jim was terrified. <laughs> yeah, he was. I also I like that this is a weird like comedy like punchline. To, you know how she always says Doogie. She always repeats his name a lot to like yeah. a kind of abnormal amount. There's something really funny about then her just yelling it out on repeat louder and louder during sex. It's actually just it's like the perfect capper on it. It's uh, true. So what uh, what was killing me in this was his arms. Oh yeah, because they're going up in time like that. They're just it's... they're just bouncing off the bed, flapping up and down. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that was really fair. It's in time with her thrusting, so he's just kind yeah, of going yeah. like this. That's it. He's doing nothing. He's just letting his arms go up and down. It was cracking me up. Um, no, that was pretty good. This, this was definitely the best Cooper scene of the episode. Like, the Doctor stuff... Yeah. Was it just... was, but it was still feels a little bit irrelevant, like, pointless. It, it does now. Who, who's to say that come 
down the line this this won't feel a bit more important later. Yeah, that's true. But I, I did enjoy this scene. Whereas the Doctor scene, I thought, oh, this just kind of feels like it's reiterating the same stuff. Yeah, and it's strange because obviously this this show has proven that if if they don't need them in an episode, we won't have them. Yeah, like, which is why I think... We've gone full episodes without any doggy stuff. Yeah, yeah, which is why I think there's a purpose to this. And it could be that the main purpose is, is that Janie E is actually grown attached to this version of him, which might, for, at least from a character yeah. perspective, might impact like when he becomes Cooper again later or when he leaves later. Like I can see what the impact of this will be. No, that's true. Uh, or even just vice versa, like Cooper kind of having this double set of memories, feeling guilty about leaving this family. <laughs> like, uh, mm. you know, I'm kind of leaving you with a, a husband and a father, even though it wasn't really me. Like, yeah, I can see yeah. some attachment there because Cooper's obviously a good man. He's proven himself to be that time and time again. So I can, I can definitely see that playing into that. Uh, also, there was another Johnny Joel track playing after after sex, just you know, in the mm. postcoital uh, snuggling. As you do. Good track. I liked it. Yep. That's why I noted it down. Uh, so then we go to Jacoby. And this was probably my biggest complaint of the episode. As much as some of the Dougie stuff was kind of just reiterating stuff from before, it was typically still fun, especially the sex scene, right? Still, still a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. And obviously, Kelly McLachlan doing a great job playing the part. Uh, this Jacoby scene, I really felt like, other than one part of it, which I thought was really funny, right? Yeah, Na- this was my biggest laugh of the episode. Yeah, okay. It may have been mine as well, and I've remembered it. Right, Nadine achieving her dream and selling her silent drapes, or silent drape runners specifically. Yep. Okay, that was funny. When it cut to that storefront, and then it reveals the gold shovel that she's bought. Oh, fantastic. she's hauling the window. That was funny. The problem is, though, is we sat through a good three minutes of Jacoby spouting more of his stuff, and it didn't feel any different. Now, I mean... I'm sure it was different. It but was. It felt but... like exactly the same. And I was listening. I was definitely listening closer to it the second time to hear if there was any sort of thematic stuff I could pick out in there. Um, and it was kind of like not noticing there's someone else controlling you, which I think it does thematically tie into like you know the, the, yeah. the beings from the lodge and all the rest of it. But it, it just it never. It really did feel like okay, we've done this already, and we've seen even seen Nadine watching them. I think all we had to hear was like maybe the last 10, 30 seconds of it or whatever, and then we could get the joke with the drape runners. And that, had been... that was it. That, that was the moment of the episode for me, though. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I did. I did uh, laugh a lot at that. Uh, so then we had we went back to Dougie's house briefly, and it was basically just Janie E telling him uh, after you know the morning after. Oh, I can't stop thinking about last night, and they have a sweet little moment, which is why again I think they're building the idea that there's this kind of an attachment growing here, even if it's going to be this weird mixed emotions for Cooper once he actually snaps out of this. Yeah. So, I think that was a purpose. And to be fair, they kept the scene short. This was to the point. No, that's, that's true. Which, and again, not that I may, I actually quite like Lynch's slow pacing. I think it adds a lot of weight to scenes. It's just a little bit tedious in some of these scenes in this episode where it's just kind of reiterating information we already have. Which was but like, see, I don't mind it when it's new information, but where if, this feels like... Because the slow pacing works when it's new information because it makes it feel like a mystery. Yes. Whereas here, when it's information we already know... It just feels like you're wasting time Some at points. Which was the hospital scene and the Jacoby scene? Yes. Yeah. Because uh, to be fair, it's only a few scenes that I'd have that complaint with. It is, but that's, but, you know, that, that's maybe t- seven minutes out of a 50-minute yeah. It's already the shortest episode yet, I think. It is, it is. Um, and, you know, maybe that... You know, that can be with the fact that it doesn't really have the big, meaty, like, chunk of mystery that we typically have been getting week to week you know yeah. last week we had all that stuff with bell and the website and you know uh, the major and all that and uh, there's examples from every week there's something to really chew on whereas this week never quite 
gave his. I mean, there's a lot of it, stuff with Lockwood at the end. Tried but... get uh, get the points, but never quite got there, did it? Which is fine if you don't have something big for every week. I mean, it's it's like oh, we don't have eighteen individual big chunk things to give in each episode. It's fine, I get it. It's just yeah, it is week to week. It leaves this one feeling a little bit less satisfying than the the, the others. Anyway, so let me cut to Jerry who had a small scene. He's in the he's in the woods. He's not getting a phone signal, and he shouts out, "You can't fool me! I've been here before." Mm-hmm. Go on, you're the one who's championing this. He's feeling what Cooper's feeling. I, I don't know if if he's got some some of Cooper's memories. I don't know. That yeah, part been of the woods, in those, that... those woods, yeah. Possibly. Do you think he literally means woods, though? If we're, if we're going with this this theory that he's saying, I've been here before, does he actually mean the woods, or does he mean this world, or does he mean something like that? Yeah, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. It could, could be either. Both, yeah. both work. Yeah. Um, Alright, so then we go to the police station, and I, this, this was a double-edged sword for me. because There's one, there was a massive pile of donuts. Yeah, this is the first time I've properly seen donuts in this new season of the show. It was so exciting. But it's a double-edged sword because the first person to eat a donut was Chad, and that hurt me deeply. Hurt me deeply. Did feel like a bit of a stab in the gut. It felt, it felt like a betrayal of everything we trust. Lynch has a lot to answer for because he let Chad eat a donut first. <laughs> but let, let, me, let me put it this way: uh, I, I watched this just after Game of Thrones, and game of thrones is you know it's it's famous for making you you hate something in each in, in most episodes <laughs> i hated this guy eating a donut more than i hate anything in that episode of game <laughs> of thrones. um so yeah he he this is basically him trying to intercept the letter he's, he's out with lucy at the front lucy's like why are you why are you here and he's like oh no i'm waiting for the mail it's a beautiful day i'm gonna go out and get the mail and he's, he's just and so i love my favorite part and i've noted this down is that both lucy and the mailman of all people are suspicious of him. Yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're on to him. They know not to trust that idiot, so they're yeah. they're paying close attention. It's very good. Uh, also noted down, uh, Lucy tells a story. She says about how one morning her and Andy got up and the clock was broke, so they weren't sure what time it was, and they just sat there like we have no idea what time it is. I just thought that was it was just such a Lucy and Andy story. I like it. It is, isn't it? Yeah. I like it. Joe, you know, that's the thing. Like, this episode had a lot of the little small, quirky, funny Twin Peaks stuff. So I enjoyed it in that sense. It felt like a classic episode in that way. It did. It just feels underwhelming after you know the, the nine here, that we've just had. Here's the thing, though, right? Here's the thing. In the original show, there's been more of these episodes than the meaty ones with the big mystery stuff. It's just that yeah. this new season has them almost every episode. <laughs> well, that's it. It's because we, it's it's just down to expectations. Yeah, that's we, all it We've is. kind of been trained to expect them. And we were expecting to get more of this, you know, Twin Peaks quirky stuff, but we were expecting to kind of gradually shift into it, whereas it started to gradually get there, and then this one just felt like, no, I just have it all in one go. <laughs> I mean, again, I think this is just a week-to-week thing. I, I think when uh, you I watch this well. back-to-back, you're going to like be fine with it. Um, so, was it, did I know anything else down here uh, of interest? Um... Uh, I, I, we, we never saw him actually dispose of the lair. He just puts it inside his shirt and walks into the station. He does. He takes. Uh, what, what's his face? Richard. Richard. Uh, also, I just one of my notes says Chad's a knob. <laughs> and I, final enough, I wrote that down before you even. And I also want to point out that next to donuts exclamation mark. Then later on, I put dash Chad's first question mark exclamation mark exclamation mark and then a little sad face. Brilliant. <laughs> All right, so 
Then, then, we, we, then we did get probably a really interesting scene. We, we got Richard going to... We see, we see that Johnny, John, Johnny Horn is not dead. He's injured. He's got, he's got like a head strap on. He's clearly mm. suffered some injuries from running into the wall. But he is not injured. He is tied to a chair so that he's not a danger to himself. There's a robot <laughs> on the table repeating the phrase, Hello, Johnny. How are you today? Hello, Johnny. How are you today? And it just keeps saying that. It says that throughout the whole scene. There's there's two key elements to the soundtrack of this this scene. Hello, Johnny. How are you today? And a kind of upbeat classical piece. It's very upbeat. It's very relaxing and kind of cheery. Which, of course, um, clashes intentionally so with the sort of darker scene that's happening here. For the second time in this episode, Richard Horn breaks into a house and he doesn't try to kill his, his grandmother, which he there's a big point there. He calls her grandmother, uh, which again we we kind of knew. We knew his last name was Horn. We guessed this, but it does mean that it's not uh, Jerry's side. It, it does mean that it is. I mean, potentially it could be Johnny's kid, but I doubt it. <laughs> I feel like it, this is Audrey's Audrey's son. Um, and as I've said before, I am okay with this revelation in a really dark way. If it's Doppelcoop, who's the father? It, it works for a story beat, so yeah. I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the idea that if Audrey just had a kid with a regular person and she did such a shit job being a mother that this is how he turned out, that would bother me. But if he is evil incarnate, then yeah. fine. Uh, if she's even, like, what, what if she's still in a coma? That's like, what I was thinking, because we haven't seen her yet. That said, though, uh, back when they mentioned that she was in a coma, they, they, they did say it in past tense. I remember noting that at the time. Yeah, I do remember that. that. Uh, but so- may- maybe she never quite got back to a normal self because yeah, it makes me wonder like, did she give birth in coma is she even a factor in this in the upbringing of of this dickhead yeah, yeah it's possible uh, actually his name's Richard and he's a dick I mean that's actually it's appropriate isn't it kismet very good uh, but yeah he breaks in he calls the grandma she she clearly knows that he's an asshole he, she wants nothing to do with him she's like no get out don't come in my house and he forces his way in and he basically just storms in and steals money out of the safe, forces her to give up the combination. She th- threatens Johnny, which, by the way, the most heartbreaking thing of this scene, I think, is Johnny trying to protect his mother, and he can't actually well, get there. Was he, or was he just trying to get away from that damned robot asking him how he was? No, he was trying to protect her. <laughs> it's very clear in the scene. I, I know. I just, I'm just, I, I just think he finally snapped from that bloody thing. I was expecting uh, Richard to smash it at some point. Like yeah, when it, it's, when anno- he, it's annoying as shit. When he was at the table and he was he was pouring the money into the purse and he, t- he takes her purse, he's like, yeah, I'm taking your purse. And then, and then he just... That's the other thing. He's so full of mouth with his, his grandmother. Like, he calls her everything under the sun. Yeah. It is shocking. And it's all unprovoked. Um, so, so if you didn't hate this guy before this scene, and you should because he's been awful. He, he's killed a kid. He, he's threatened sexual assault. He has actually killed someone. Uh, other than the kid, you know, he actually intentionally went in and murdered someone to, you know, stay stay yeah. free and out of jail. Uh, now he's getting in, like, strangling his grandmother and all sorts and stealing from her. Like, it's just the whole thing. He's, he's, he's the worst of humanity, which makes me look very forward to his demise when it comes. There must be comeuppance. It must happen. Give it to me. I can't wait. I cannot it's gonna wait. It's going to be great. He's, he's such, he's the worst of the worst. And I can't wait for it. And yeah, so I thought. Uh, yeah, so I thought it was really interesting. Uh, the, the classical music, the, the really upbeat stuff that was kind of 
you know, it really clashed with the because he he. It, it was a very peaceful before yeah. he arrived, wasn't it? Yeah, because uh, when it cuts to like uh, Sylvia Horn on the on the ground, she's crying as she's like witnessing the horror of her grandson just emptying money in into a bag. Like it's just the whole thing feels horrific. It's really proper shocking. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so then we cut back to Vegas. We uh, cut to uh, uh, Mr. Todd, who is the guy who's been arranging the hitmen. The various hitmen. Uh, he hears a bit of eat the spike from his uh, his assistant, and that's when he brings forward Anthony, who of course is the Seasmore character from Lucky Seven Insurance, the one who works with uh, Doogie and is concerned and has been up to something with the books. And we, we actually find out later what, what what he's actually been up to, uh, to a point. Um, so he actually worked with Mister Todd because Mister Todd's the the arch nemesis of the Mitchum brothers. And he wanted him to doctor or wrangle the the insurance paperwork so that their thirty million claim for a, a hotel fire wouldn't go through. Sure. Yes, and now Why he not? now he wants him to go to the Mitchum brothers and tell them that Dougie Jones is responsible, so that they'll hate Dougie Jones and go and try and kill Cooper. So that's ah, his plan. They don't, they don't hate Dougie enough already. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Mister Todd doesn't know about the, the money winnings. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's that's just no, a no, happy no, accident. Yeah, yeah, they, they already ha- like he's on their radar already. Anyway. Yeah, arguably, like they could almost write him off as just being lucky, right? They don't want to see him again, certainly, because he may be up to something. Yeah. But once once it becomes, oh wait, he also screwed us on that thirty million dollar claim. Um, you know, so. Yeah, so he that's basically his plan. And then he also points out that if you fail to get them to kill him, then you're going to have to do it yourself. And Sazemore doesn't seem like a character who actually uh, kills people. He seems like a slimy guy, but not someone who's actually in that world quite It'd yet. It'd be fun to watch him try, though. Because <laughs> Ike the Spike failed, so this and guy's the, got no chance. Yeah, and Ike the Spike clearly has been shown to be a very capable killer. He was a, he was a seasoned professional. <laughs> he took pride in his work. Exactly. We cut to a hotel in presumably South Dakota uh, briefly to see that Albert is indeed on a date with Constance uh, from the from the morgue, and Gordon and Tammy are just kind of watching and giggling like school kids, like, "Oh, he's on a date! Oh, he's going to kiss her! Oh. He's with a girl, the yeah. girl!" That's basically the scene, uh, which is fine. I, I enjoyed it. It was nice to see Albert be happy for once. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Simple little scene. Good. Um, then we cut to the casino, back to the Mitchum brothers. Uh, Anthony's there, we see him on the camera, and this is when Candy comes back into it. We see the three girls standing next to the wall, and they ask Candy to go and get him, because he's out with the, the guy who works there, he's asking, you know, he's asking to come see them. And they, send, they ask Candy to go, and Candy, throughout this entire scene, both now and when she gets back, never does anything on a first request like she doesn't hear them she's sort of away in her own world and they have to repeat it and even when she does respond and says oh you want me to do this it's very kind of um oh okay i guess i can do that like kind of kind of idea uh but she goes and gets she goes to get him and instead of immediately bringing him back we have the mitchum brothers watching her on the screen as she starts like she's just standing there talking to him and she then starts kind of like looking around the room and like pointing things out as if she's telling and as they point out what is she telling them uh, her life story you know for four yeah. hours like like they're getting angry to the point where they start screaming down the, the, the walkie talkie to the, the other guy to tell it to bring him in and then when they come in they ask her 
you know, what were you talking about? And, you know, Sizemore's like, eh, she was talking. I was just, <laughs> I was just listening. And she's like, oh, and that's when she brings up the, uh, the weather. She says it's going to be really hot tomorrow and that they're very lucky that they have good air conditioning in the, in the casino, right? And yeah. she says we're on the version layer. And now this might seem frivolous on first glance, but I actually think there's maybe something to it, especially if I think she might be important uh, or setting her up to be important for in some way for later on. I think it's interesting. All that information happened while she was crying her eyes out, while she was upset about the, uh, the, the remote control incident. Yeah. But she took all that information in, and I think that's maybe showing us that she might seem like she's not up to much, but she does actually take everything. She, she in was listening. Her. Maybe it was almost a, a, a just a distraction. Like so, yeah. so it seemed like she wasn't. Yeah, but she is listening to everything. It's, it's kind of like she she might be useful for information later. Was what that was telling me. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. And then Anthony basically just you know tells them everything that he was there to tell them. And I actually really liked uh, his delivery of all this. Yeah. Like it was just it was the way he had that sliminess to him, but he, he was like really trying to convince him. He's like, it's, even as he's leaving, he's reiterating it. He's like, "You've got an enemy in Doggy Jones," and he, he keeps reiterating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's it was just the the, the repetition was just keep coming back. Yeah, yeah. He, he keeps repeating that, and he keeps and the, the Metron brothers are just standing there. And again, I'm kind of loving their reactions to stuff because they they were just slowly getting angrier throughout because they recognize the name. Because again, uh, he you know Anthony doesn't know that he was here in one money. He's just no. he's just telling them all, all this stuff that he's been told to say, and he's like they're just standing there, like, just slowly getting more and more stern faced and just like really pissed off, and then they tell yeah. him to get out. Uh, and again, they make Candy take him out, which takes a little bit of time. Uh, then we cut to the Mitchum brothers' house, and they have there's like sort of upbeat jazz, sort of really fast jazz drums going on that's the kind of music it's playing here and it's kind of like all right they're they're pissed now it's game time so the scene goes on for a bit but it's really it all amounts to them saying right let's let's call and set up a meeting tomorrow with uh this doggy jones and that's basically the gist of it uh it goes for a little bit though it's, it's, it's again it's a pretty fun scene with those two i actually I, I did see online some people were pissed with how much screen time these two got this episode but i was actually kind of digging their stuff i get it i, I feel like maybe, maybe it went on a bit too long but, I don't know. I, I was digging this. Maybe it could have happened a little bit earlier in, in the in the show. Maybe it's because we're getting a little bit later on. Yeah, I but, guess. I guess so much of it now just feels like a bit of a distraction. Possibly, possibly. I, 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 I was, I was just kind of into like again the, the way they were playing off of everything, the way they were reacting to stuff. Um, I will. I mean, I'm surprised we're still dealing with Las Vegas and like the casino yeah. uh, this late on. I am surprised at that. But the scenes of themselves were entertaining. Oh, and I forgot to point out something actually. Uh, in the previous scene when they were watching on the monitor, uh, the music that was playing was quite dark, and it started to go into a theme from the original show, which we've not heard this season yet, uh, which I'm going to call Bob's theme. I'm not sure if that actually is necessarily accurate, but it was kind of the yeah. dark theme, like no, you know, Bob's yeah, coming. Know about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what it was starting to play, which I thought was interesting. That was playing there. Uh, dangers coming is maybe the the, the point there, but. Um, but no, so that's that's what. So presumably next episode, we're going to have them obviously try to come to talk talk to Cooper, and he's going to be you know his usual brain dead self, and that could lead to some fun hijinks. Um, so then we go back to the hotel uh, with Gordon. Uh, although I've actually written down lunch, uh, but that's just a mistake. I mean, it's not uh, a mistake. A mistake this but... is this is where things get interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, also, some interesting stuff uh, here. He, he, first of all, he's drawing a really weird thing. It's a, it's a weird animal. It's, it's, like, it's like a little lizard with antlers, was how I described it. Yeah. Or a mouse with antlers, some, something like that. It was, it was hard to, hard to establish. And then the, the, someone knocks on his room door, and he gets up and answers it, and he has this really weird moment where he opens the door and he sees a flashback of Laura Palmer. Yeah, it was strange. Yeah, it, it was like this. It was almost like a, like an echo. I'll call it an echo in time of like her crying. But I think it's from Firewall with me specifically. Uh, the scene with her crying. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's that's what it felt like to me. Uh, and then he sort of snaps out of it, and it's Albert that's standing there, and Albert comes in, and the scene progresses as normal. But I thought that was just like as Albert or as as Gordon getting some kind of messaging now. Yeah, and Albert noticed that he was a bit out of it. Yeah, yeah. Because he gives him that look when he's just stood there, and you know he he, he knows that he, Gordon's looking right through. He's not he's not seeing him. Hmm. Uh, so basically, where this this scene goes is Albert comes in and he says, "Oh, right, okay, we've been monitoring Diane's phone." She got a text, and she t- he tells about a text from the last episode about the uh, conversation around the dinner table's lively, that text. And he's like, did she respond? And he said, she did. Uh, and at first they thought it came from, like, I think it was Philadelphia, but it actually came from Mexico. And the message she sent back was, they have Hastings, he's going to take them to the site. Which sounds very suspicious, sounds like she's working with people. It does, doesn't it? Uh, I wonder if there's more to it than that. I can see her playing a, a game where she's ultimately on the good side of things, and maybe that's just wishful thinking. Because I really don't want the idea. I don't like the idea that Diane, you know, Diane, who's on the other end of that tape recorder this whole time, has been swayed to the dark side. That that's an upsetting thought. But yeah, that would be kind of crushing, wouldn't it? It would be kind of crushing. But hey, that, that that's kind of thing. Um, and then a really interesting filmmaking choice here. So Tammy enters the scene, but before she knocks on the door, it cuts to the hallway. And she walks around the corner in slow motion as music plays. Yeah. This this was strange because it felt like this is a, a big entrance is kind of what it was from a filmmaking perspective. A big entrance or like she's not to be trusted or something like that. Like it was really, it felt like it was really saying something about it. Yeah, it definitely felt like a big dramatic moment, but the scene didn't play like that. No, she just comes in and then she it does what she's there to do. And it's interesting and it's, I don't know... If, like, are, are they implying that Tammy's actually, like, because they, they mentioned that she's the one who traced it, like, did, did she doctor this, perhaps? Is that what it's suggesting? You know, mm. her walking around the corner on dramatic music right after they say this? I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I'm just trying to make sense it's, of... That's uh, as good a guess as any. Um, but the, even the fact that it cut out to the hall to see her coming to the door, instead of just, you know, chap, chap, then she comes in. Yeah, it felt like it wanted, we, we had to see her face for this, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That's what made more sense. I'm really curious for uh, ideas in the comments about this. Actually, like, why why did we get this slow motion entrance for Tammy here? Kind of weird. Uh, but she comes in and she basically says, "Right, you remember that whole thing in New York with the box? You know, that's what we're bringing up." So obviously they were filming that for a long time, and one of the earliest like uh, memory cards they have of the with footage on it has this had this this photo, and the photo is of Doppelkoop sitting in the box. There's also a bald guy who seems to be on the outside of the box, so he's presumably whoever like was looking after it at the time. Yeah. Uh, perhaps not, but pro- that's, that's the safe assumption. I, I assumed it was the, the watcher of the time. Yeah. 
Uh, but Doppelkoop's sitting sitting in there at a table uh, in the box. Yes. And it doesn't look like it's... Uh, you know, he still looks the same age as he does now, so it doesn't feel like it's that long ago. And I'm almost tempted to uh, go back and look at his clothes and see, like, was this kind of echo of like something else we've already seen with him, with him sitting at a table? Like, maybe... Like it wasn't in the prison because obviously in the prison he was wearing you know prison stuff, but yeah. I'm just wondering like was this like an echo of somewhere another scene somewhere else that was appeared in the box because he's got obviously got connections to the lodge and all that. Yeah, it could be some timey wimey stuff. Could be, uh, but no. So that that was that was that was the scene and it, it cut away, um, and it cut to the the uh, hotel. Uh, I'm blanking on the name for some reason. Uh, Great Northern. Thank you. Great Northern. Uh, and it's basically just bearing the phone to Sylvia and Sylvia's distress and telling them all about everything that happened with Richard. It seems like they're divorced now because he mentioned sending her money. So it doesn't sound like they're living together or anything like that. It sounds like they've been done for a while. And after the phone call, he's so stressed by the the interaction that he actually just shouts on Beverly and says, you want to go, go out to dinner? Uh, which maybe shows that... Not necessarily that he's not changed, but like... Well, the question is, like, I suppose it's still wrong because he knows she's married. So that's, I guess, that's yeah. that's that's obviously a fair point. But, but it's not like he before we would have assumed he was cheating as well. Yeah. Um, clearly, this this stress. It's like obviously the hope of this new romance is exciting, and it's like, oh, this might not be painful and just filled with hatred like this one is. Like this, you know, this past relationship that's went to this point where. She's shouting over the phone at me because her evil grandson has attacked her. Pretty much. Right. <laughs> Complicated situation, regardless. No, I'm not sure I blame her too much. To oh, no, of course not. Of course not. She mm. did just get beat up by her grandson. So. Yes, awful, awful man. Yeah. Um, and then it cut to what turned out to be the last scene of the episode. Which, it, it makes sense for it to be the last scene. When I was watching it, it felt like it was kind of, you know, this mm. is the ending. But then... Yeah, we mentioned earlier we got we got thrown off by the timings. Yeah, that that's, that's definitely has the most meat to it. Obviously, there's some stuff to analyze here. I I got most of this down. What the log lady said. My phrasing might be slightly skewed towards the start because I I sort of just decided, oh yeah, I'm just going to take it all down after a couple of sentences. Um, but yeah, so basically she's on the phone to Hawk once more and she's giving her another message from a log. Is essentially the gist of it, and he's sitting there and he listens to the message, and that's basically the whole thing. So here's here's the message, and we can probably tackle this in chunks, I imagine. Uh, electricity is humming. You see it in the mountains and in the rivers, singing among the stars, or seeing the stars, and glowing around the moon. Now, obviously, hum, humming electri- el- electricity, that's been a yeah. big thing this season with travelling to and from the lodge or places like the lodge. Yeah, I think that it was that saying that, as you say, no, gateways are open. Things are moving around a lot at the minute. But then she says the glow is dying, and I'm like, yep. oh, the bat, the darkness is winning, and because of that, it's going to, like, you know, yeah. uh, it's not just that the gateways are going to shut, that like, the balance the, is going to shift. Yeah, darkness is going to win, the light is going to lose. Um, what will be in the darkness that remains? Yeah, there you go. That just further <laughs> uh, carries that point. The Truman brothers are both true men. They are your brothers. Now, obviously, we're talking about Sheriff Truman, both of them. That line was a little bit on the nose for me. A true both... man, true men. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I think that's intentional on the part of the log. 
Probably. It just it just it stuck out as more on the nose and cheesy than anything else in here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it's just saying like these are ones you can trust. And then she says, and the others, the good ones you have that have been with you. So that's your allies, presumably. Like maybe Andy. I mean, I think he's a true man. He's a he's a dumb man, but he's he's a true yeah, true better. Yeah. Yeah, can't count Chad in this, obviously. Uh, and so on. So the idea that he's got allies. Now the circle is almost complete. Watch and listen to the dream of time and space. It all comes out now, flowing like a river. That which is, and that which is and is not. Hawk, Laura is the one. I really don't like that last line. Why? Because this goes back to episode eight for me. And it's oh, getting, it's, it's, add, it's, it's adding more to that Laura being the chosen one sort of thing. And then, then at the moment, that's where it feels like it's pointing more towards. I don't like it still. I'm not going to debate you on that. I've, I've done that and, already. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. Don't debate me on whether or not it's you know good or bad. But do you think that's what it's referring to? I do, not necessarily, no, because okay. Laura is the one. Because Laura's dead, right? There's, she can't really do anything in that that way, right? I think, I think this is like everything is revolving around her. Everything that started here started with her death. Okay. And everything rippled out, and I think she's telling Hawk. Or the, the log is telling Hawk, if you want to put it that way, uh, that whatever, however they're going to figure this out, it's going to have be something to do with her. Okay, the reason that I'm still thinking it might be the, this, you know, chosen one thing is back to the, the start of this season where, you know, we saw Laura, she's she's in the lodge, but uh, Leland said to me, you know, you've got to find Laura. Yeah, it you does, know, yeah. And rather than being, oh, it's at the time we read it as please help her. Whereas now I'm wondering if it's like, no, you need Laura. She's the one that can, Laura is the one. Like, that's why you've got to find her. It could be, and I have zero problems with that, if that's yeah. the case. But here's the thing, though. She's not a person anymore, though. If he does find her, she'll be an entity, kind of like the other beings from the Lodge. Yeah. Unless... Yeah. Oh, here's an idea. Go on. She's in someone else now. Ah, oh, okay. Her spirit, her goodness... Uh, the, the essence she's, that... she's in Jerry. <laughs> I've been here before. I don't think it's Jerry. I, no, I, I don't. I, I do think it'll be another uh, woman, and I do think it's probably someone who was born in the last twenty-five years. Someone who's on at least under twenty-five. That'd be my guess. Mm, no, yeah, you could be onto something there. She's in someone else. That that that's my guess right now. Uh, oh, and just a bit before that, uh, watch and listen to the dream of time and space. It all comes out now, flowing like a river. Uh, again, that makes just just to use a, an obvious phrase here: the floodgates are open. I'll translate that into. Yeah. Also, flowing like a river, it it, it evokes the image of the the waterfall, of the Great Northern. Yeah. So again, yeah. it makes me think: okay, that's going to be an important location. Yeah. I mean, even if it's not, it's just it's just it ties in thematically what's always been in the introduction of the show. Like the opening titles have always had a lot of the waterfall and stuff in it, so it's just a nice Yeah. Like, yeah, a way to tie it to that. Uh that which is and is not. Uh of course we're constantly dealing with, you know, what is real, what is a lodge 
presence, all that kind of thing. Uh, what is the real Cooper and what is not? You know, mm-hmm. the ideas Makes like sense. That. Um, do, you, do you know what interests me about this as a, a larger narrative at this point? Mm-hmm. Who is the log? Who? Which side of this message is coming from? Who is? Is it the arm or, you know, some, so, something's given of these messages through the log? But but which entity is it? The giant, maybe. Could be, yeah. Well, because remember, she said it was a husband. It was a dead husband. Well, yeah, that's true. But is is he in the the lodge then? It, it may be, he, yeah. Is he, yeah, I'd be my Kind of like how Major Briggs became a big part of the, this whole thing. Like did oh, her husband true. also go into the woods, get taken, and stuff, and now he's an entity that can communicate through the log. Okay. I remember that, right? It was a dead husband. She did say it was a dead yeah, husband. Yeah, right? I think, I think yeah. she did. I, th- I think I'd forgotten that while I was just thinking that yeah. thought as it popped into my head then. Yeah. 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 Intr- it's an, it's an interesting thought. I, yeah, Laura, Laura is the one. I, I, I mean, I'm okay with anything that's implying for the most part. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 again, not not to go back to the, the old argument of you know her, her being a chosen one, like is that good or bad? It's just for me, everything in Twin Peaks does feel so intentional on both sides. Like if if there is this constant struggle from good and bad, like this war being waged that you know regular people never see, kind of idea, like like the. Yeah, it won't seem like a random murder to us, but there's actually a larger a larger tapestry like going on here. Um, doesn't rob it from me because Twin Peaks has much more going on than. No, I know what you're saying. I think for me, it's like you said. There's this this war between two sides, and you no know, humans don't don't see what's going on. And I like the idea that they're just they are free to do as they will in the middle. Oh, see, I, th- I think they are. I, I think that's that's. I think that's the important part, though, is that if 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 the light and bad side are playing a game of chess, I think what's interesting here is that the human beings in the middle can deviate from what they're supposed to do. I think a lot of free will is still a part of that. Mm. You know, I, I, I think I, I don't think Laura's path to death was really what the what the giant or whoever had intended for her. Really, that this was the way she chose to go about things. I, I still think free will is a big part of this. In fact, I think free will against this fight is kind of the ultimate thing like like cooper ultimately it's not just that he has to win it for the light side he kind of has to prove that it's not all just predetermined that they can make a difference that they can yeah. alter things um and maybe that's why people from the, the the white lodge need human beings to help because it isn't just all predetermined there, there's an actual struggle going on no that's fair i mean that, that's something that it's I, i'm mentioning it now because I, i'm still not on board with the idea but as it goes on it might yeah. it, it might clarify itself to become less of a problem yeah but if, if laura isn't someone else <laughs> who, who who is it i mean oh, becky jumps my head but that's just because she was in this episode <laughs> and she's yeah know. no because she's a young person in this yeah. episode that's it isn't it but yeah it feels weird to to have her go through that sort of shit again yeah, unless yeah. that's the point. We we mentioned how it was very cyclical. Unless that's the point, Laura. If this is Laura, then has to go through, has to go through hell in order to you know do whatever she has to do. Yeah, we, I mean, I could be really off base here. It may not. This yeah. may not be the case at all. But uh, it's an interesting idea to ponder at this point that oh, she's definitely. in someone else. Um. So and it makes me wonder, like, are, are these other awful people? Is shitty Steve like? If not one of the entities that we know, like, but did one of these cockroach beast things with wings, like, 
did, did that get in his mouth? You know, that's why he is the way he is. I don't know. Uh, lots yeah, of, lots of I ideas. guess I guess that's that's part of my problem as well. Like it kind of gives them like a, an excuse for being evil, if that's the case. So I hope it's not. I like you know oh, them being evil for, just because they're they're bad people. Just because evil's part of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's 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 fair. Um, that's fair. But there you go. So that that is this episode of Twin Peaks. Uh, by all means, uh, give us your thoughts on that slow motion Tammy scene in particular, and how you interpret some of what the log lady said here at the end. Um, certainly, I, you can definitely see. You know, the, 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 there's a glow around the moon with the, the humming electricity. It's going out. There'll be darkness left. What will be left? Clearly, a battle of light and dark. Light is losing. We need to win this somehow. I think that part's pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, Laura is the one, though, I think is very much open to interpretation at this point. Uh, that said, I love that even though, like, th- th- that her murder, which of course was the focus of the show when it started, is so long ago now, but I like that she is still important to this whole thing. Like, it's not just, we've moved on and that's irrelevant now. Like, no, no, no. Laura is still at the core of whatever's happening here. Oh, definitely. I think that's, that is important, yeah. Yeah. Because it, I think such an event did affect the town as a whole and i think having it you know it, it not just been forgotten over a year but seeing you know 25 years later you know this this was a bad enough event to have still have ripples now and that makes sense to me yeah uh, ultimately yeah i just think this is the weakest episode of the season for the couple of the scenes we mentioned um, and it not really having as meaty as kind of the log lady stuff that there was it it was still kind of new spins and stuff we'd already heard, maybe outside of the, the final line. Um, I still enjoyed the episode a lot, though. There's still a lot of good scenes in here. I think it'll play really well when you watch them back to back. It's just week to week, this one was probably the least satisfying of the whole the whole. Bunch. Yeah, like, like I said, I think it felt a little bit underwhelming because of you know the expectations that we have. after Because yeah. going in, we didn't really know what to expect, but then we've had nine of these that have been very consistent in what they've delivered. So and this felt like it didn't deliver the same things that those previous nine had. So it felt a little bit yeah. disappointing in that sense. But on that subject, my second watch, I actually did get into it a lot more because I felt I felt myself not waiting for oh when's the big exciting thing going to happen. And I just enjoyed the scenes for what they were. And when I was mm-hmm. doing that, I was appreciating how he handled the opening scene, how he handled the Richard home invasion with the the grandmother and all that stuff. Like I was really finding myself just appreciating the scenes for what they were and what the purpose was. Yeah, so, rather than what you were hoping yeah, for. Yeah, the, the the Jacoby scene was still the one that kind of stuck out as, this feels like you're just wasting my time. <laughs> but that was the only one. And, that's, and to an extent, the musical uh, segment at the end. Uh, it is worth mentioning, though, David Lynch did co-write that song, which is probably why he felt the need to hear the whole bloody thing uh, at the end of the episode. So uh, I have no problem with them showing the whole song. I just feel like when it was a good five-minute song that I was expecting something else, I felt a little bit, yeah. a little bit cheated. Just because it was my own fault. Yeah, I think honestly, what this boils down to is that they have eighteen episodes, and they didn't want to artificially make this any longer by putting in. Because as much as we are questioning that Jacoby scene, you know what? We might look back at that after the end game and go, you know what? There was actually some cool little hints in there that we didn't pick up on. And, yeah. You know, Lynch knows what he's doing uh, and knows what he wants. So the idea that he said, "No, this one can just be five minutes shorter," it's fine because I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, whatever that's cool uh 
So there you go, that is episode 10 of Twin Peaks. Let us know what you thought in the comments below. Like, subscribe, all that stuff. Get us on Twitter at mailed underscore fuzz for channel updates. Get, if you want to hit, support the channel and everything we do on here, uh, head over to patreon.com slash mailedfuzzTV. Uh, we have uh, bonuses over there and stuff like that if you want to help us out. But that is us, so thank you very much for watching once again. We will see you next time for Twin Peaks. Have you got any vanilla? Thank you.